This is the What Now Podcast. If you've been sexually abused, this is absolutely an issue that you can overcome. And to have hope, hope would be your guiding force. Healing will cure your heart. And that if you're healing, you're learning, you're being educated, and that you have absolute control how to respond to your heartache because there's answers out there to help you. And at HEAL, we are here to absolutely help guide people, help them navigate their healing journey and help them find that inner strength that they have to tap into their inner worth, to tap into their potential. And I would just let people know that they can overcome abuse and that they can heal. This is the What Now podcast, where we discuss the culture and beliefs in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in an honest and faithful way in an effort to encourage, uplift, and inspire. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me as I speak with Wendy Johnson, author and founder of HEAL, where she shares her personal journey with sexual abuse and the pivotal moment when she faced her fears and broke the silence and cycle that plagued her life. Wendy shares how to handle resistance from family and break the secrecy that surrounds sexual abuse, allowing the survivor to get the help and treatment they need. Wendy shares the resources she has created, which provides sexual abuse survivors with new life skills to help them overcome their past, stop the abuse from continuing, and tap into their potential and create hope and healing. Today, I'm here with Wendy Johnson. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to have you. Thanks for taking the opportunity. Before we get started, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself so listeners can get to know you better? Yes, I'm a mother of five children. I've been married for 30 years this year. Super excited. I'm also a person who loves school. So I went back to school, got my bachelor's, just graduated from the Harvard Extension School with a master's in international relations and will continue pursuing my further degree after that. I'm also an author of a book called Heal for Survivors of Sexual Abuse. I also run a business called Heal Innovations for Survivors. I'm a victim's advocate and an entrepreneur. Wonderful. So today we're going to be talking about that sensitive topic surrounding sexual abuse. And Wendy, you have had personal experience with this topic. You were a victim of sexual abuse in your youth, which continued even into your 20s. How did you escape from being a victim? Well, I didn't grow up in the church. You know, I grew up in an atheist home. I was neglected, physically, emotionally abused, as well as sexually abused by my father. And my mother knew about the sexual abuse and the other abuses and did not protect me. I grew up scared, not knowing what would happen the next day. And from 16 to 23, you know, I battled with addictions and poor life choices. And coming from an abusive home, I just wasn't equipped for life. It really wasn't until I started dating a young man who was actually going on a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he asked me to go to church while he was gone. Although he wasn't a perfect example, he was perfect for introducing me to the church. After a series of events occurred with seeing missionaries on my street, running into old friends who were members of the church, I met with them at the Young Single Adult Ward, and I would say going to church was the first introduction I had to Jesus Christ, was the first door to helping me escape from being a victim. So was there a pivotal moment that brought you the clarity you needed to kind of change direction in your life? 
Yes. When I went to church that very first day, my life changed completely. Bishop Jones was the young single adult bishop speaking 30 some years ago. And I remember sitting in the back middle pew, listening to him talk about chastity and how our bodies are a temple. And I had never heard that before. I never heard that a woman was of value or that I was of value, let alone my body was a temple to be cherished. And Bishop Jones' words basically awakened my spirit, and I had never felt that before. I can only describe it as my soul lay dormant until I'd heard his word and felt a feeling that I'd never felt before, which I would come to learn was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been my guide ever since. I would say that because of that one moment with being introduced to the church and hearing those words, that it took about 10 months for me to get sober, to overcome a lifestyle that I had, and to see that things weren't quite right in my family. And that after I was sobered, I, you know, I was able to join the church and I had the courage to address the memories of my past, as well as I was also very blessed to meet my husband within that time frame. And we got married. So I would say that pivotal moment in my life was going to the church for the very first time. When you heard that YSA bishop talking about chastity and that truth that our bodies are temples, they're sacred, they're supposed to be respected, that resonated with you, especially coming from an atheist home too. You weren't hearing Christ-centered messages. And so this was all really new territory for you, wasn't it? It absolutely was. So how did you get to a space where you could have the courage to address it? I mean, this had been happening to you for most of your life. How did you get the courage to face it? Well, to be honest, the first few months of being introduced to the church, more about overcoming my past addictions. And when I started to heal, you know, from the past addictions, I started to see that my family wasn't quite right, that there was a literal darkness like in our home that I still had a lot of fear. I was still raged at. I was still belittled. And I was learning different principles in the church. I was seeing different examples from church families and activities and events. It gave me, you know, I would say within about 10 months, Joey and I got married after 10 months and realized that I had been abused and I didn't have a lot of memories. I didn't have a lot of things I could fall back on other than I knew how dark I always felt there. And so the gospel really gave me the courage to confront the situation and get myself in a safer situation away from the abuse. When Joey and I got married, I felt safe. I felt safer, but I also realized that I needed to confront a very dark past. And how did you do that? Did you just come out and share that with him? Did he know about any of this before you got married? Well, him and I started attending these groups called um, Personal Growth that Bishop Jones did at the YSA. And they were amazing. They talked about what abuse was and you know how to have a healthy family and all these principles I'd never heard before. And I realized as he was starting to define different types of abuse, I realized that I fit in the category of many of those. And I realized that my fear came from actually experiencing a lot of what he described. And it was pretty severe. What I did was I realized that I needed to be in a, a safe spot. And I started to attend therapy and actually support groups from the bishop's wife. She would hold them out of her home. Many of us would go and talk about these issues. And I realized that I needed to find a therapist. 
I started looking for a therapist. It took me many times to find one and realize that healing was a maze of confusion and that I needed to find answers on how to heal what was the right route to heal. It wasn't until we moved out of the state that I was able to find somebody who specialized in it. And when I found somebody who specialized in it, my healing went faster. It opened a lot more doors for me to be able to have the courage to set the boundaries that I needed to. So you really faced this after you got married? Yes. Which makes sense, right? You'd be in a safer situation out of your home. Yes. You know, with someone that you trust. So how can someone break free from being part of the lie when they're still at home? It depends on if it's a child or if it's an adult who's still living at home. If it's a child, um, you know, when I think of children, right, I think of a group of people who should be the most protected by our society. And unfortunately, they are the most vulnerable victims, even within our own families. Often when a child comes forward and shares, hey, dad's touching me this way, or uncle's touching me this way, or grandpa touched me this way, the most common response is, you're lying. I mean, think about that. A little child, five, six, seven years old, comes forward with this and says that you're lying. Their number one protection is the other spouse the other parent who is supposed to be protecting them. That's their number one defense. And if that breaks down and the mother goes to the husband or the uncle or the grandfather and says, hey, so-and-so is saying, you know, our child is saying that you touch them this way. And of course, the perpetrator is going to deny it. That's what they do. It's They're shrouded in secrecy. Then unfortunately, the child will continue for years and years to receive the same type of abuse. Within family, secrecy is the organizing principle of all family relations if sexual abuse is going on in there. So unfortunately for a child, they can go outside. They can talk to another adult that they trust. They can go to somebody else like a teacher. They can go to a church leader. Hopefully they will initiate a third-party investigation for these children and not say, oh, this must not be true. I mean, it's mandatory that an investigation be done. Oftentimes, though, it gets stopped by family is the first person that they tell. When somebody's an adult living outside the home, or they could still be living there, but they're an adult, they actually have a choice at this point to get the help that they need. The choice is they don't have to announce, hey, I'm going to go to therapy so that I can overcome the abuse that you know you or the family member covered up or whatever. Healing is a private matter. You can't heal for somebody else and they can't heal for you. So the best thing an adult can do is to get the help that they need. There is so much help out there now and to not let the fear or the shame that binds us keep us from reaching out for the help that we need because we can do this in private. The strength and courage that we need to eventually be able to deal with this if it's a family matter. And that's the tricky thing is how can someone break free from being part of the lie when family members are resistant or threatening? Like if you go to anyone and tell anyone about this, there's going to be some serious consequences, right? That fear factor of it affecting the family reputation, the family dynamics. I mean, there's a lot of pressure there. You know, Mary Alice, there's so many people who have come through our doors with that same story. We had a young lady come through who, she was young, and a step-uncle married into the family and was abusing her and other children within it. This uncle actually hired several of the family members, right, and was their employer. He had a sense of power over them. And instead of turning him in, instead of doing an investigation, contacting family services, contacting the police, 
the family told her and several other siblings and cousins to not say anything and that they would protect them and say, we won't let you be alone with this person. We'll make sure this doesn't happen. And think about that. Think about how devastating that is to be sexually abused by an adult and other adults are protecting the perpetrator and not getting the help the victim needs. When a family member tells a victim to stay silent, they're also not getting them help. This person is living with the reality of this family secrecy, this abuse that they encountered, and they don't know how to process it, and they feel stuck. How does a person get out of that is one by going to somebody outside of the situation, another adult, an authority, and telling them. An adult can go get the help that they need I had to do that. I had to leave. I was told to please keep the secret, please not say anything, to let things go back to the way that they are, and that they would let me back into the family. And I made a decision, I remember at the very moment that that happened, that I said, your denial hurts me. And you put me at further risk uh, mentally. Like I can't heal because you want me to stay stuck in the past. You want me to stay a victim. I went forward and found the help that I needed. I stopped all relations with them. And I have a strong belief that, you know, we don't have Thanksgiving dinner with our perpetrators. Children shouldn't be forced to have to do that as well. Totally. How did you forgive your father and still protect yourself and your family? I mean, you really disconnected from your family, almost disowned them. Yes, I would say it was a mutual thing. You know, as long as I kept speaking the truth of the abuse, I was basically ostracized which was fine with me because I told them they couldn't be in my life also because Joey and I were starting to have children. Let me tell you the foundation for forgiving is healing from your past. I went to many therapists, as I mentioned before, to get the help that I needed, individual therapy as well as support groups. And it was this one year where I found somebody who specialized in it, who actually helped me with my coping strategies, overcoming the temporary depression I had with confronting this issue. I learned new life skills. I knew how to help myself. I was learning how to take care of my emotions. I was taking care of my triggers. After doing that for a year, every single week going to individual therapy and support groups and just really pushing through this, overcoming the shame, overcoming the self-guilt and the poor life decisions that I made based on the abuse, and I realized that you know I didn't need therapy anymore and that I tried to implement the new skills on my own to protect my children. And within a year, I started asking myself, do I need to forgive in order to heal? And of course, I'm very prayerful. I'm a woman of faith. And the answer that I received was, yes, you need to forgive. But the answers weren't going to be found in a book. They weren't going to be found in a therapist. And it was going to be found in the atonement of Jesus Christ. As a new member, just a few years, I held on tight to the promise that Heavenly Father would make me feel whole. And I knew I needed to forgive in order to be free and to feel whole. And so my forgiveness road literally led me to going to the temple more frequently. It's so funny. In the first 10 years of our marriage, every family video we have in the background, we have some church video going on, oftentimes the very same one of me just watching, immersing myself in the gospel with music, with videos, and studying the atonement of Jesus Christ. That point, I was at a stronger place and I had more confidence in my skills of taking care of myself, stopping the cycle of abuse for my children. And I felt I was at a more spiritual place where I can even look at forgiving my father. There are so many things where people think if you forgive, they have to be in your life, which is not true. 
Forgiveness is a very personal experience. And it's getting your heart to a place where you can move forward and have freedom from the pain of your past. And the way I forgave my father was definitely taking all the things that I had learned, tapping into the Holy Spirit, and realizing that a very tender moment I had was, you know, seeing a picture of my father when he was 18 months old and he was put into an orphanage because he himself was neglected and abused from his own mom in the 1940s. And he was put in a Catholic orphanage and he was sexually abused by Catholic priests. When he got out by the same mother, 14 years old, where she continued her abusive ways because many abusers don't change. And I could have compassion on that 18-month-old. I could have compassion on the picture of, of him as a teenager when he was leaving the orphanage for the rest of his life. And I felt, I felt so bad for this young child who also had no memories of his childhood like I didn't. And I was able to forgive a man who grew up in such abusive circumstances because you know what? I was okay. Because of the gospel, I found the help that I needed. I worked hard through it. The gospel is really what gave me the courage. The atonement of Jesus Christ softened my heart to get to a point where I was able to hold him accountable, but I was able to forgive him and understand the abusive circumstances that he went through. And I had compassion on him and I forgave him. Although he still didn't get a place in my life, I had become a healed survivor. But the pain of my past was truly gone and I can talk about it without any pain. And that's the power of the atonement. Because I forgave, I was able to experience freedom from my past. Oh, that's inspiring. Seriously. I mean, I want to touch on a couple of things you were saying. Many victims really block out parts of their childhood or the timing around their abuse to protect themselves. Sometimes they won't even remember aspects of their abuse, but their body will. We were talking about that the other day. Can you explain that? Yes. You know, sexual abuse is one of the most traumatic experiences a person can have. And oftentimes when a child is being sexually abused, right, they're told to close their eyes there while somebody does something to their body. They're told to participate in pornography and be exposed to things that their little eyes shouldn't even know about at their age. And it's so traumatic because although the person who is doing this to them, you know, 98% of all people who sexually abuse children are known to the child. So this person sees them as a person of authority, as a person that they either love or respect in their lives or need in order to survive. It is common to repress the experience for a very long time. And also people don't talk about it, their childhood sexual abuse for years, or if the child came forward and like I had done and said, hey, dad's touching me this way and told, don't talk about it. Don't ever bring that up to me again. Then the kids, the only way that they know how to deal with it, because they're not adults, they don't have access to therapy, they're literally under the thumb of the abusers, because they, they're not believed, the only way often to handle this is to repress the experience. What happens is that people don't start identifying with their abuse until they're in their late 30s and mid 50s. So between 30 and 55 is when people really start to deal with their abuse, either because of life circumstances, they feel that they're older, they feel like they're in a safe place, their abuser may have died or is completely out of their lives. There are many different reasons, but sexual trauma can continue to impact your life through nightmares, flashbacks, dissociation. And pain, it's trying to come out so that you can get the help that you need 
And what people don't understand when they're ashamed to not get help or told they were liars, they grow up and still don't get help. And so adult survivors have a choice now to get the help that they need. And by getting the help, it removes that shame. It removes the self-blame. It removes the guilt. And by getting the help you need, you can tap into your potential. Like you haven't been robbed of your purpose because you've been abused. So many people delay getting help because they still carry that shame and they're still carrying the secret. Now, that's interesting when you're talking about this time frame, 30 to 55. Do you think that's kind of because they're more empowered? They've had more life experience, yes, but they also are probably not living at home. They've had some separation and maybe they're a little stronger and more confident to face it because they're not under like immediate threat when they go home. Yes. And a lot of the women who come through our groups, oftentimes, a lot of them are young, you know, different ages, but between, you know, 30 and 55, when a woman comes to us, they have children. What's happening is they're seeing that their children were abused also, or the same person who abused them abused their children and something woke up within them. And they're like, okay, I can't let this happen again. I've got to protect my child. This can't happen anymore. That's not everyone, but it's quite often can be a wake up sign for them. Or they see themselves in a lot of failed relationships, or they can find themselves in a good relationship, you know, a fairly healthy marriage is just something that they just haven't dealt with. Or maybe they haven't even told their husband. Oftentimes when people come to us, we are the first person besides maybe their other parent who they've told, and maybe their other parent didn't listen to them. We really don't know exactly why they start coming out around that time, but I do agree with you that it could be that they feel that they're in a a better place, a stronger place, more life experiences have occurred that can help strengthen them to deal with it. It's a starting place for them, even when they're older. And I think people think as you get older, you don't have time to heal. You don't have time to fit this in your life. But boy, you take some time to heal and your life will completely change and transform compared to the life that you've had up to that point. That's a good point because I think a lot of people who have been physically, emotionally hurt, they want to bury it, forget about it, not bring it up, act like it never happened and it'll just go away. Why is that not a a good theory, a good approach? Well, silence and secrecy are damaging. And so silence stops the victim from getting help. And silence is more than just, you know, the victim keeping quiet. It's a threat. You know, you keep silent because you've been told to keep silent. Most of these children who come forward, like I came forward, said, you're going to ruin the family. Think about that. The the victim's not going to ruin the family. The perpetrator is. What ruins the family is when other family members protect the perpetrator. You know, who's really at fault here? It's an adult male, most likely sexual abuse is done by a male, that this adult male is being protected by their family or, you know, people that they work with. We've seen it in the sports industry. And then stigma, right, is a societal creation that involves those stereotypes, the prejudice, the discrimination against a victim. And it's rooted in social stigma, right, is rooted in the shame, the self-blame, the guilt, and it's reinforced. Um, by how our family responds to the abuse. Um, Stigmas can stop your progress and they can stop you from even starting your healing journey. And I always tell people if, if stigmas are a societal creation that you can create your own life narrative still, you know, you can overcome shame, you can overcome self-blame, you can overcome the guilt. Stigmas are not innate characteristics, right? 
it's a belief system and all belief systems can change. So how do people find you to get the help that they need? People can go to, and I'm so excited to share this, um, we've created a program that's specific to victims of sexual abuse, all types of sexual violence, and it's called HEAL. If you visit www.healfromsexualabuse.com, it's a membership site that provides an empowerment, educational, and healing program for victims of sexual abuse. We teach them new life skills, new coping strategies through the 14 principles that we believe that survivors need in order to heal. And we talk about how people can have hope. A lot of people don't have hope and that healing is a choice and that they learn how to understand what sexual abuse is by going through our 14 sessions that they can go at their own pace. They can log in, get their own membership. They can go through the 14 sessions. There's 25 to 35 activities for each one. We offer virtual support groups so you can live anywhere and sign up for our support groups. We've just launched a Facebook group where I'll be coaching people every Thursday at 5.30 Pacific Standard Time live. We also provide on our website um, trackers and metrics and analytics. So if people are experiencing triggers, um, how to overcome them, we help them to track them and give them the help they need to overcome it. We help them with anger management, intimacy issues. They have homework, they have worksheets. And it's a really interactive experience for the people who come through our program. And we're seeing great results. Do you do group therapy where they can like click in for a Zoom session or group therapy live? Yes, we do that every week. We call them support groups, um, not group therapy. Group therapy is run by a therapist. We run support groups that are run by survivors and they go through the HEAL educational program. And how long does that program take if someone signs up and they get involved? It would be about 14 weeks for them to go through. Of course, they can go faster because it is self-paced, but they have a lot of support to help get through it. If they feel like they're stuck on something, um, they can always reach out and we have a great staff to help them move through any obstacles they may feel that they're experiencing. Do you also have tools for them to get out of the abuse? Let's say they're like you were, like they're in high school and this is happening to them and they're still living at home and they're under 18. Do you give them tools and ways to handle it, manage it, get out of it? Yes. HEAL is for survivors 18 years and older so that they have, it's for adults who have a choice. For the children who are being abused right now, we are providing information for adults to know how to protect their children. Also, we sell the book, Heal. And in the book, it tells parents how to protect their children, who to contact. It's called like an emergency plan where within their area, we tell them who they would need to contact to help them through this process with their children. And so we actually have forms for them that they can download to protect their children. Wow, that sounds comprehensive. Yes. We want to help as many survivors as possible get the help that they need. And oftentimes people don't want to go to therapy because they're afraid of what should they be looking for in a health, mental health professional. They're not sure. And as they go through our program, we talk about going to therapy. Most people don't go. Like in the world today, right, there's over 150 million survivors and the number keeps growing. It keeps getting bigger every year, even with all the programs like mine out there and all these nonprofits who are trying to spread awareness. It keeps growing because when you think about it, it's really a system. We believe at HEAL 
that we can stop this system of abuse one healed victim at a time. Because a healed victim will protect their children and their immediate family. They can be an example to other family members who are maybe afraid to still come forward with the abuse that's happening. Yeah, it helps break the cycle. That's our goal, is to help break the cycle within an individual. Yeah, I mean, it just seems inconceivable to me that if someone was hurt with sexual abuse, that they would continue that. It just seems crazy to me. Why is that? Well, abusive generational patterns are real. They're the core problem as to why abuse continues. If somebody doesn't get the help that they need, they are at risk at continuing it. It doesn't mean that everybody who's been abused, who hasn't gotten help, has caused abuse in their family line. Maybe there isn't any. Maybe they have protected their children. Oftentimes, the abuse continues because people are not getting the help that they need. I mean, if you think about it, if you're used to being abused and you're used to feeling broken and damaged inside, when you have children and you see abuse going on, you are just seeing what you know. Like that's something that you've seen. That's something that you've lived with. You didn't like it, but you really do believe that's just how life is. And it's not, it's against the law. And so we help people to understand what the cycle of abuse, like our chapter two is called understanding. It's understanding the different abuses that go on. And so when a person understands the different abuses that they've experienced, then they know where they can heal. If somebody experienced sexual abuse and emotional abuse and neglect, they understand that they need new life skills to help build from the deficit that they have. Stopping the cycle of abuse means that somebody has to change and get the help that they need. Well, everything you have shared has been so powerful, just understanding where you came from and how you were empowered to create these tools to help others. I mean, you clearly broke this cycle. Look what you're doing. It's incredible. Well, it's absolutely something that I feel is my purpose in life. I absolutely feel that survivors deserve resources to heal no matter where they live, no matter what economic background they have. Therapy can be very, very expensive. A lot of insurance doesn't cover it. We want to fill that gap, you know, so that people have a place that specializes in this to get the help that they need. I always tell people that sexual abuse is not just about the act of abuse. It's part of a system. If the individuals feel that the sexual violence is a social norm, even if they don't agree, they will perpetuate it. And so we want to help these individuals who are survivors help stop the cycle first by healing themselves. Yeah. I mean, how can you break the cycle if you're broken? Right. Well, do you have anything else you want to leave us with before we wrap up the podcast? I think you've shared some really powerful things here. Yes. I would just end with letting people know that if you've been sexually abused, this is absolutely an issue that you can overcome. And to have hope, hope would be your guiding force. Healing will cure your heart. And that if you're healing, you're learning, you're being educated, and that you have absolute control how to respond to your heartache because there's answers out there to help you. And at HEAL, we are here to absolutely help guide people, help them navigate their healing journey and help them find that inner strength that they have to tap into their inner worth, to tap into their potential. And I would just let people know that they can overcome abuse and that they can heal. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for your time today, Wendy. I loved our conversation. Thank you so much, Mary Alice. 
Thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. If you are a survivor of sexual abuse or know someone who is, please go to Wendy's website at www.healfromabuse.com to learn more about the resources she has created, which provides sexual abuse survivors with new life skills to help them overcome their past, stop the abuse from continuing, and tap into their potential and create hope and healing. I invite you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Just click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on Instagram, follow us at podcast what now for inspirational messages and highlights from our past and present episodes. We never say goodbye. We say what now? This has been a what now podcast production.